So this is like 2003 and we got a PA system. We got an empty venue and we would just like turn the lights down and just like practice our fucking, our moves and our spin kicks. And dude, it was like so fucking You would turn the lights off and like, we we really try to replicate the moment. we, We would set the mood. What is up, my friends? Thanks to you. Thanks again for tuning in. This is the Scoped Exposure Podcast. You know, people know Scoped Exposure for just, in my opinion, just riding for Western Canada through and through. And I feel like there's a lot of, you know, when you're thinking of the bands that really paved the way for a lot of what's happening right right now, a band, in my opinion, that doesn't get enough credit and not enough roses and accolades is kind of the theme of today's episode. And I've been punishing john uh to come on the podcast for a long ass time here and uh the man's very very busy but the stars have finally aligned and i'm very very honored and excited to be welcoming john of Gravemaker on the scope exposure podcast thank you so much for joining me man thanks for having me dude it's um there's a lot of lore and a lot of great stuff that uh i'm very excited to be getting into uh with you i don't know how familiar you are with the show but it sounds like on the bev side you've come prepared <laughs> so i'm very excited to hear what you got yeah i got a couple um well i got my four liter yeti which is always with me which has always got my bio steel and my himalayan salt and then i got my greens drink and i got a cup of coffee on the go so i usually got a few things on the go this thing doesn't leave my side usually go through one or two of these a day so right so you fill that up with water and then mix a couple things in the mix of it as well i got yeah all my electrolytes keeps me from cramping and then i just moved in with my girl last summer and she is like a soda connoisseur and i was like i thought it was kind of over the top and ridiculous so we got a beer (laughs) fridge full of all these diet sodies Mm -hmm. and i'm like slowly getting turned so now i'm like having like one or two a day with her but i didn't know people were like obsessed with soda so i started listening to your show and then I started jamming out the last few weeks listening to it and all the, you know, guy from harm's way and, and you guys. Yeah. So I guess she's not an outcast. I guess there's a lot of them. So yeah, there there's, I feel like at least for diet Coke specifically, there's almost like a cultish kind of behavior for people that really, really like it. Um, but I think there's a similar kind of um, obsession, whether it's like, you know, the polar seltzers or, or things like that, you know, you know, it's the same with your know, sports teams. You kind of find something that you identify with and that becomes your team. Totally. Degree. But um, totally. I, I, I'm also a connoisseur. So I kind of like, I play the field at times. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's, it's very early on a Sunday morning. So I'm just kind of at the remnants of the, uh, the morning coffee. And, um, and one of my favorite mugs as well, it's a uh, bioceramicist oh, yeah. called, um, uh chelsea faith it's like she does badass um she does the mugs and then her husband who's a a tattoo artist like does the painting and the designs Um, hell yeah and then i also got yeah raspberry bubbly just to kind of you know make sure the bev consumption is at an all-time high nice um yeah but dude i got 
I got this cup here. This is in honor of my little pug Maggie. So I got my little pug cup with my coffee. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. And then I, yeah. yeah cheers, Eagle, buddy. Eagles to pugs. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Cheers. Hell yeah. Mm. So, uh, John, again, um, how we kind of start things off for someone who's never been on a show before, I always like to kind of mm-hmm. get a bit of um, kind of the origin story of how they discovered heavy music, hardcore, however you want to spin it. So cool. talk to me about like kind of the first time that you heard something like that and kind of what initially put you on the path. Well, I, I want to thank you for asking me to come on, man, because I've been so detached for, well, over a decade now that I just kind of... I'm pretty like high speed with it that I got going on that I, I haven't like stopped to think about hardcore music for so long. And so Hmm. obviously like we agreed to do the podcast together and it's actually given me some time to like reminisce on, you know, what it was like getting into hardcore and like, just, yeah, it was so freaking long ago. I mean, compared to some of the old school guys, maybe not, but yeah, man, like I I appreciate you asking me to come on because I've been able to like kind of go back through some journals and some pictures and like, it's it's been cool but um like my introduction to hardcore um i like i grew up in in not a very good home environment and a lot of us young kids that grew up in a small town called vernon uh started going to punk shows like just local punk shows like gob and um you know snow jam and shit like that and we were like 13 years old and you know we wear punk shirts and like stick safety pins through our eyebrows and like you know go mosh and shit and like I guess there was a group of older kids that were going to these punk shows and I didn't really know there were genres growing up like Pantera or ska or hardcore or hate breed. It was all just like, it was all just like aggressive music or whatever. Yeah. And so I didn't know there was genres. So like we would go to these punk shows and I was a young kind of troubled kid. And these older guys like took me under their wing and by older, I mean, they're probably like 18 at the time. Right. And so, yeah, like they, they took me under their wing and like, we went down, I went to work tour in 99. I was like 13 and then went to Ozfest like a few weeks later, I was also 13. Um, but then I ended up like leaving home at 14 years old and like the guys that kind of took me under the wing, they had like a punk house downtown Vernon who the mom lived upstairs. So, and a lot of the kids were straight edge. So it wasn't like a, punk house like drinking well there was a lot of drinking and smoking weed and stuff but the mom she was like super supportive so we booked shows in the basement and like some vancouver hardcore bands would come in like burden descent i think like straight face played and stuff like that so i was like 13 moved out at 14 and i was living in the basement and they had the, the guys that ran that house ended up going to the construction site and stole a bunch of plywood and two by fours they built me a room in the yeah it was awesome man so that's great that, it was like my my introduction was just like a lot of us, you know, I've been trying to like backtrack here, but like <clears throat> getting into the hardcore scene, it was like, it was just like a, it was like a family, you know, and like as cheesy as that sounds, it's true. And it gave me like a mm-hmm. sense of belonging. And I didn't really have that um, at that point in my life. And so, yeah, like I kind of, I kind of went off the grid there for a couple of years. I got hooked on drugs really, really young. Um, the one rule living in that house was that I had to stay in school and I was expelled like super quick. Mm. And so then kind of bounced around from like living in drug houses and stuff like that and selling drugs. And and I was just going down a really, really bad path. That was like 14 till I was like 17. And then um, just a lot of run-ins with the police and just getting in trouble and lost a lot of friends and stuff. And I ended up getting cleaned up when I was like 17. And when I got cleaned up, I, trace back to like my roots so even though i was never straight edge when i was young i remember those guys talking about it and the back then right. like the straight edge guys and like the drunk punks or like me i was doing like hardcore drugs um like 
there, there wasn't separation, I guess, like the straight edge kids always treated us with love and we were also fucking young too. So, but when I got cleaned up when I was like 17, I remember that word straight edge and like hardcore and like, you know, the California takeover and strife and trial and kind of just fell back into the hardcore scene. I was like 17. And then it was just like freaking hundred miles an hour since then. So moved home when I was like 17 and Christopher, my little brother, when I moved out for a few years, they bought him like drums and guitars and stuff. So he would like teach me how to play. And we just, yeah, man, we just, I don't know. That was like my interest in hardcore. So I got into hardcore and punk like 13, like 98, 99, and then obviously fell off for a couple of years and got in a lot of trouble with the law and with drug addiction and stuff like that. And then, yeah, yeah. 17 brought me back in and then moved to East Van when I was 18 and just like playing in like local bands and just trying to get my ass on tour watching like the Hellfest, like was it a vhs i think we watched it online like a desktop and i was like <laughs> i'm going I'm, I'm i'm going to Hellfest." so like right. from vernon to syracuse new york was a three and a half day greyhound bus so i took my skateboard three and a half days on a greyhound got to Hellfest, mosh for three days three <laughs> And then the next year I went to Hellfest in Syracuse. I flew that time, but that was like my introduction to like, you know, until the end and like Shattered Realm and mm-hmm. all these like heavy, heavy bands. And uh, that, yeah, then it just took off from there. But when I lived in that punk house, I, I, I try to like go down memory lane here, but Darcy, he was like my big bro. And he always, always, always took care of me. Even when I was struggling with drug addiction and stuff. And I remember sitting around him. He would be on his laptop because he would book shows out of the basement and we would just stand around him and he would be talking to guys from Victory Records and they would send him care packages and like we got Hatebreed and Buried Alive and Scarhead and Blood for Blood. And I was like, hey, this is this is it. This is the shit. Right. And so, so yeah, I was just start going. No, there's there's just so much good stuff that I want to break down here. And I, and <laughs> sure. I, I wanted to allow you to kind of like, you know, because yeah. like you said at the beginning, there's a lot of stuff that you're kind of referring yeah. to. But I yeah. think that the, the, you know, the interesting thing that I first wanted to get into is just the aspect of like, you know, some people, a lot of people actually like in the punk world or the hardcore community come from that broken uh, household life and then they kind of like find a sense of community and like Big time. um you know just uh un un uh, unapologetic like care and love like you almost yeah like I, like one of my favorite things about hardcore is that you know just the aspect of listening to the same kind of music is the unlock to you need a place to sleep you want to eat my food Big you want to get a ride like whatever it is and that is just not something that I think any other music genre has um, agreed. I think looking back, like, because you're spending your 14 to 17, like very, just like form of years, like, did that look like, was it when you talk to other people, maybe like, cause I know you were in and out of school at the time, but like, did you just think that that was the norm for any kid growing up? Or did you know that that was a unique situation to you at the time? You mean like, you mean like when I was out, out doing that, when I was out on the, on the, it's not even that but just like the aspect of like oh like like doesn't every other kid like live in a punk house and b- do shows and do all these other things like i guess like i don't know if this answers your question i knew i had something special and i always had older guys really really looking out for me even when i was a mm-hmm. total fuck up dude like stealing cars and breaking into houses and i always was given a second chance hanging out with some bad people 
because I was like kind of like with the hardcore kids, the punk kids, but I also had all my stupid wannabe criminal friends that were just fucking losers and drug drug addicts and stuff that were also older. And like, I knew what I had as far as like the hardcore scene and stuff was going was special, but like, I didn't know a lot of people had like normal lives until I, I was with a girl for many years and watching her with her family and her friends and her upbringing and hearing her stories. And I started to connect the dots, like in my whatever, late twenties, early thirties, like, Oh, wait a second. Maybe my situation is a bit unique. I just, I don't know. I never really took the time to stop and think about it or feel sorry for myself. I've just always been like pretty like, like hard headed and push through and get through it. I didn't really realize how fucked up it can be. It was maybe until I started getting older and talking to other people and other guys and hearing sure. how their upbringings were. But like at the same time, dude, like when I got sober, you know, I've been in and out of that stuff for a long time. Like when I moved to Vancouver, I started volunteering downtown, downtown east side right away. Volunteer like five years, working with other street kids, other kids that were having issues with drugs and, and broken homes. So like I never really took the time to think like, oh, my situation was unique. I just thought there's a lot of people out there that had the same shit that I went through. And in and, and, and all serious and all honesty too, I don't even think mine was that bad compared to a lot of other kids. Like there's a lot of kids that had it like a million times worse. Right. And it, yeah. it could have been worse. Like I always would say that it could have been worse, but I don't know if that answers your question. I, I did feel that what I had in that punk and hardcore scene, living in Darcy's house, going to shows, these older guys always taking me under their wing. I, Oh, it was, I felt special for sure. It felt yeah. special. It felt, it felt like a family. So, yeah. 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 And it's, it's almost interesting on just like, if you remove the music and the shows and all those things out of it. Like, I, I feel like that's almost like a, a great, like there are countless other examples of that where it is just, you know, a, a trap house where it's just like whatever is mm -hmm. happening on the day and there's a bunch of yeah. like shit, but like at least having some anchor point to like doing something that's like, like, pro like not even like looking at it negatively or positively, but like productive as far as yeah. like, we're like, you know, congregating these kids to just like get in the basement. It's it's so ludicrous yeah. when you try to explain it to like, yeah. if I was to explain it to my parents or something. Yep. Um, but like, un until you're actually in a room where you get to experience that and you kind of like chase that kind of high, like that's always that's like, true. yeah, like that's something that people can and will do for their entire lives. They're just like, whatever's going on in my life, I like that's a centering point for me. Yeah. And it's, it is hard to explain it. I call them civilians. I mean, I've been in, a, in an industry for over a decade now, but I didn't even talk about touring for the first several years I was in the trade because like, how do you explain that you lived in a van and sleeping on people's floors? Like, what do you mean? Like some random just lets you sleep on his floor. It's right. like, like you kind of said at the beginning of the podcast, it's very unique. Dude, we never, ever paid for a hotel. That was like our rule. And we always met kids at the merch table. And like, what other scene can do that? Like strangers mm. in, in England or in Europe or in the States. Oh, Mexico, even wherever. when you guys were doing you know? international stuff, like no, no hotels. Oh, actually, sorry. Let me take that back. In in Europe, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Europe, it was beds upstairs in the venue or we'd sleep on a bus. Sure. But yeah, sorry, I, I misspoke there. But um, at, least, at least on North at, American soil. Yeah, but we slept at some kids' houses in Europe. We would like, especially like our first European tour was like sixty shows. We mm -hmm. we weren't sleeping in a lot of venues. We're sleeping in a lot of random people's houses. Um, but yeah, it's very unique, one of a kind. And like when I got into the trades, like how do you fucking explain that? Right. Or, or, or yeah, yeah. Uh, when we had um, 
Dan from King Nine on the show. Uh, he's a he's a like a a steel worker. Does a lot of cool. like you know working on huge buildings and shit. Like very similar to to your world as far as your you know nine to five. But yeah. he was saying when he tries to explain you know what King Nine has done and what they continue to do, it it almost is like a normie is like it's almost like you lived like a full other life and now you're doing this as well so like yeah you're like where do i kind of even begin to explain like i could i could fly to another country and play to hundreds of kids and then go crazy and then sleep on the floor and it's just it sounds like lunacy yeah, and also too, I, I felt like I sound like I was lying because how do you say that? <laughs> right. So I, I just, I, I, you know, so I just like wouldn't really talk about it. And, you know, I've been in the industry for a minute now, and you know, I'm doing my thing. And so now it's like a little more open. And like it's funny, I got like random guys I work with sending me like Gravemaker songs, like give me merch. I think we have merch like stashed away somewhere. I gotta find it. But uh, oh, bro, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna punish you about that. After. <laughs> okay, um, sounds good. Sounds but good. um, let let's talk about just the. Oh, well, I guess there's a lot of your story I want to still kind of break into before we start to get to like beginnings of Gravemaker. So, um, you know, life kind of turns in a positive direction, kind of like when you're exiting your teens and then you move from Vernon to Vancouver. Yep. Am I understanding the timeline correctly? Yeah. Yeah. September 2003, moved into my first house here with a bunch of buddies. Yeah. Cool. A bunch of hardcore kids. Do you think it was like kind of like necessary? for you to kind of escape like because it's natural for a lot of like small towns to kind of like have a lot of that like gang drug and just like kind of that kind of um culture and experience just because it's like there's nothing to do that's kind of the the classic trope so do you think it was kind of necessary for you to be absolutely i'm getting clean but i also need to remove myself from this situation Uh, absolutely like when i was getting clean and like some of the 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 straight edge kids in vernon dude they were so good to me and, but we spent all of our time loading up in a minivan, going to Seattle, to Graceland, to uh, uh, shows weren't super big in Vancouver, but we'd be doing road trips to Vancouver. And as soon as I graduated, I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. But mm. it also had a lot of very, very bad memories in Vernon, just from just shit that went down. And so, like, I I can go back now. I'm like almost 40 now. So I can go back now and see it for the beauty. But it took very, very, very long time to actually enjoy going back there because i was so associated like certain areas with like bad memories and you know lost a lot of friends over the years and stuff so when i moved to vancouver it was like a fresh start no one knew me the problem too was like when i was kicked out of school i was i was arrested right with with possession and it it, when you when you go through that in a smaller town like it escalated so quickly you know and Mm. I obviously had like had heroin and like other hardcore drugs on me and scales and stuff. And I was just being a fucking idiot. And that just no parent wanted their kids near me. Teachers were scared of me when I came back, even though I was trying to turn my life around. I had like one principal, Mr. Grist, and I had another teacher, Mr. Advent, that like totally, you know, looked out for me. and saw that I was trying to get better. I had to go like drug and alcohol counseling and get through all that shit. But mm. the, um, I had a couple of teachers that really stuck out for me and stuff. And they fast tracked me because they knew if they held me back all the years that I missed, I would never graduate. So they helped like expedite me, graduated. And then I just needed to get out of there because everyone saw me, even though I was, I was trying to get clean and change my life around. Everybody would see me. And it's small town living, right? You get judged or, or felt like I was getting judged at least. Yeah. And I just, when I came to Vancouver, nobody knew anything, man. And like all the straight edge kids I hung out with, like I would tell them a little bit what I'd been through, but it was almost too heavy for them. I remember like driving to Seattle, trying to like 
tell them a little bit and I could just see that it was just, it was the wrong place. And they were all Christian kids that grew up with like good homes and stuff like that. So like the hardcore scene kind of was my outlet to be honest. Cause like I went through a little bit of drug and alcohol, drug and alcohol counseling uh, cause I had to, but I never uh, got deep into, you know, I never really figured out a lot of my other things. So mm. the hardcore scene was like my, was my outlet to be honest. And yeah, um, yeah, moved to Vancouver at 18 and just fucking went to every show, moshed for every band, like just watching whatever Hellfest and then trying to mimic all the spin kicks and head walking at every show I'd go to. And <laughs> it was fucking, it was fucking awesome, man. It was like right. a total outlet for me. And, but yeah, what back to your question? Yeah. I moved to Vancouver for a, for a fresh start, which was exactly what it gave me. Yeah. Nobody knew anything about my past and I could just like have a fresh start. So So when you're, when you start going to these shows is the, I guess, desire at the time just to like, like you said, like have that be your outlet, but like there, there was no initial thoughts. Like when did the idea of like being in a band, at least for you come into the picture? Cause I don't know how many bands you were in prior to Gravemaker. That yeah, you want like to the, at least disclose because yeah, like, for sure. Keep totally, I, dude, I, I've heard a couple of your guys say I played a band that I will not name, and I'm like, I, I can I can relate with that. Um, <laughs> so, like when I moved to the city when I was 18, I moved here with some other musicians and hardcore kids and stuff. So we started playing like a little metal band, and like I, it was not hardcore at all. But I was just so stoked to play the drums, and I wasn't even good at them, but I was just stoked to play and mm. set up some shows. We actually played with like Animosity from san francisco for like a wow. week or so yeah dude they, they were babies too they were like leo i think was like 17 the singer was still in high school uh that was like 2003 but like yeah right away when i got cleaned up and was getting my shit turned around i i wanted to play in a band right away even though i was not a good musician and i was not trained musically i just wanted that outlet of just playing drums or playing an instrument and playing in a hardcore band and having kids just like lose their shit for you. And I was just, I was always like an outlet for me, man. Like even when Gravemaker played shows, I remember like <clears throat> I was never like a talented musician, but I would just like lose my mind on stage. And like when we'd finished playing our 20 minute set, I just always felt like so calm after I was like, Oh, I feel so much better, you know? And like, I kind of always had that from a young age, like playing like in the few hardcore bands or metal bands that I did. And then like, trying to get on tour like right away and just i don't know i always just had like a connection with that i just always wanted to play in a band or tour in a band and you know just be around the hardcore scene be at hardcore shows right. I, any 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 show man i would go even like the, the scene here was not not no heavy bands like you know champion and blue monday and stuff but i still would go to every show at mosh even those guys fucking hated me because i'd be spin kicking <laughs> kids that were trying to watch their bands but like yeah i just i was i was hooked man i was hooked yeah. What? So you were a drummer first. It sounds like. Yeah, I played drums first. Again, Christopher, when I moved home, I was gone for a few years. He had a bunch of instruments, and he was just like, "This is how you play." And you just teach me breakdowns. He had a double bass, and it was just like, just you know, just mosh, 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 mosh. Right. And that's basically. So you'd be on the drums, and he'd be like <laughs> playing guitar or something. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. And then found other musicians, and like you know, we just would fucking play, make songs, and try to play shows, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, because doing drum, like playing drums in a band versus like singing and fronting a band and being the one to pass around the mic is like a totally different responsibility and role. So, True. like, did you? Because some people like they'll play an instrument and then they like kind of fantasize or they figure out a way to maybe front a band one day. 
was and some people like have to do it just out of necessity like where where were you on on that scale well the transition <clears throat> i didn't play in any bands i played like there was a dude from trial that started like a little side project i tried to play with him on drums and i tried to play some other little bands but i eventually met bailey from Gravemaker and wayne and we became super close and we started this band called Gravemaker, and i was playing bass and um and sucked at it and then our singer at the time andy rice who was, we were trying to jam with in seattle he quit i don't know why he quit he had to quit for personal reasons he had something going on or he was moving and i remember the day we we're like well we still want to play in a band so we fucking passed the mic around and whoever sucked the least <laughs> you're in charge of singing so we all sucked ass but i sucked the least and yeah that's kind of how i got stuck with the job and then just kind of yeah, that's basically how it started to it. So yours was just like your metrics of um of being good was just like just slightly above yeah. everyone else. Totally, totally. I wish we had the footage, man. Like iPhones and stuff didn't exist back then, but I remember like I'd go on the drum and then Wayne would try. And then we'd all like and then Brian would try. We'd all like pass the mic around with this little jam space in northern Seattle. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, that was rough, but I guess John takes the cake, so figure it <laughs> out, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay. Okay, so I guess like, you know, it kind of falls into your lap in a sense. Um, and I, I think the first thing that you guys put out is you had a demo uh, in 2007. And just correct me if I'm wrong, just in, in case the discogs are incorrectly, but some sure. of those tracks off the demo did make it onto when Bury Me at Sea comes out. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, we did a little three song demo and like, I don't know if bands will do that. But we like made a little burn, like CDRs and made like a little slip and a and a sticker and we just passed those out gave away for free now we did three songs on there and i think i had to go through our discography to remember what we what we made but i think those three songs made it on one of our uh buried at sea records yeah let me pull it up i was kind of doing some late night i also like this might be incorrect also but it says on discogs (laughs) that um chris williams is credited to do the artwork for the demo (laughs) oh yeah that's right yeah 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 dude chris Chris was always super close with Wayne and they still are. And Chris was always just such a solid dude. And, um, and obviously I've been friends with him in and out of playing in bands and stuff. He was him and like Greg from trial, like Greg Bennett, like all those dudes would just come and like mosh for our band when we first started our first couple shows and showed us a lot of love. And Chris Williams, he did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did the artwork and then like, yeah. Yeah. Andy Rice left. So then I started singing and we just tried to make it work. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Time Hills Nothing, which is the opening track of Burmese Sea, and then The Boatman and Dear Brother. That was kind yeah. of the, the collection of songs. It seems yeah. that you guys did um, the demo as, like, you self-released it first, but then I think next, like, the year after in 28, uh, 2008, um, you released it through Copper Lung Records with... Um, kind of a an art cover that's just uh it's like a bunch of demons and then it just says grave but no oh, yeah, grave shit. maker dude, <laughs> i, I was forgot like, about that what dude, is... I for... dude i suck man i had to go through like online to figure out what we wrote because it's been so long and i totally forgot about that yeah so it said grave on one side and then maker on the other side oh, and it had okay. those demons that's right yeah i forgot about that yeah, I forgot yeah. About that. and then yeah there seems to be another um uh repress of it uh, with the the BC um, province outline, and this is like Grave Maker or GM, but like on keys that are crossed. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I gotta see this. 
<laughs> I'll here, maybe I can send this show to me the chat. Um yeah, maybe I'll drop it in the chat here cool. for you to see. Can I do that? I'm in the chat. Maybe not. Uh wait, wait. Give me a second. <clears throat> we we are working here over at Scoped Exposure Podcast World to be able to uh well let me just do this. I'll just some show yeah, it's all good. so you can see. It's all good. Um we are trying to work on a way to be able to kind of do this stuff a little bit more. So apologize, cool. Jordan. You're gonna No, it's all good. That. All right. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So we got the regular. Yeah, nice. And then down here is the Yeah. So was it these same creatures on the other side and it said maker or there's three yeah. new characters? I think I think it might have been three new characters. Oh damn. We got we got <laughs> six grave makees. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I'll have to look for the, the backside. And then this. Dude, I didn't remember that. It seems like it was just like a, a really spray painted on there. Yeah. It's cool. I like the geography yeah. vibe. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Dude, I never very, remember. Very, too. um, very late, uh, two thousands though with the the keys. Oh yeah, it seems like a lot of bands were doing the keys. Yeah, it was like crossed AK forty sevens, and we were like all mosh warriors <laughs> in the two thousands, and then like progressed into like hammers or keys and shit. Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> okay, so, yeah. um, so I'm gonna move on to bury me at sea, yeah. and this was my entry into you, into you guys, and sweet, you know, this is. I'm going to punish you a little bit off of like, you know, me finding, finding you guys. So I was at a, just like a local CD store kind of just looking through and I didn't like, I didn't know, like I'm just getting into <clears throat> hardcore at this point and, and heavier music. And I didn't know that you guys were Vancouver based. I didn't know any of that. I was just like, I just saw this cover with this guy who had like, like nickels in his eyes and he just had like fucked up teeth. And I was like, this looks sick. I'm going to pick this up. Oh, kind yeah. of the one and only times, you know, that I was getting something solely off of just like the the feeling and the, you know, how, how it's making me feel in, in the moment. And like, I'm definitely coming from the world of like, you know, the metal breakdowns and, and things like that. So to get something that was like tried and true hardcore was like a little, it was brand new for me, but I just was like, there's something to this and there's like this style of aggression is newer to me, but there's like something more special about it than like someone having a crazy metal voice or something mm -hmm. like that. Like I even think going out of time hills, nothing into um, like the next track and you're you holding that yell kind of like to kind of transition the songs and your voice is like breaking up. I was like, this is so like the rawness of it was so like, looking back it was so important to me at the time to kind of like steer you know the ship in that direction um Thanks, man. so yeah like let's just talk about that release because that's the first release that you guys did on a label as well yeah <clears throat> so so yeah it came out on think fast records yeah um which i i haven't I don't I can't remember any other just kind of looking through if there's anything else that I can remember coming out on that but um at the time like you guys putting out like something 
on a record like did that feel like a big like whoa this is a big oh, yeah. up? dude it was it was it was awesome yeah and when we when we wrote that record you know we were so green man and like i remember writing songs and demoing songs and in the studio and everything was just so new for all of us so bailey had a little bit of experience because he played in figure four and played some other bands shattered realm and stuff but for wayne and i it was like brand new and um yeah man like just like we were young and green and you know we just we lo- we we wrote a lot as we went and um we were figuring shit out as we were going in the studio like we were coming in not very prepared and then as soon as you know we we Bailey booked our first show in January 2008 and we didn't come home for six months and we were just playing show after show after show after show and a lot of them were just like floor shows with a couple kids were hopping on Bailey knew a lot of people but um, when that record came out it was awesome and we had something to tour on and you know we weren't really internet savvy so when we had a record that it was awesome we had something to give kids at shows so kids could get our music and yeah, it, it felt awesome, man. I was like, we were so stoked to be on tour. And the reaction it got f- for us was, couldn't couldn't imagine, like, some of the shows we were getting off that record because, like, I'm going to be honest with you, when I grew up in in hardcore, when I m- met Wayne, I always wanted to sound like bands like Hatebreed and Until the End and, like, heavy beatdown bands and Shattered Realm. And Wayne just put his foot down. And he's like, no, Wayne was more into like melodic hardcore. And so was Brian. Bailey and I were more like aggressive, like beat down heavier stuff. So that was kind of where we ended up. Like I always wanted to play in like a heavy ass band, mm. but Wayne wouldn't. And, uh, and Brian is they were more into like, you know, melodic hardcore and youth crew or whatever. And that's kind of where we ended up with Raymaker. Like I just was so stoked to be in a band with Wayne and Bailey and, uh, just stoked to tour that I was just like, hey, fuck it, this is what it is. I'm not going to make a stink about it. I wanted to sound heavier. I tried to convince Wayne to play double bass. He wouldn't do it. I wanted to sound heavier, but, you know, I was just so pumped to be on tour that I just was willing to play whatever. And the kids, like, you know, they sang along, and that was pretty pretty awesome, right? Yeah. So. I, I think also it's important to note, like, well, two things. The first, you know, it's funny you saying – yeah, we were internet savvy. And it, I think it's important to say in 2024 that, like, this is an era of hardcore where there's, like, my spit. Like, you guys have, you do have a Facebook, but, like, it it is way more barren than, like, what I have seen through, like, the the MySpace. And I feel like sure. there's almost, like, a, a badge of honor that is, like, yeah, we, like, this was the... Uh, this was the social media that we were using at the time. Yeah. Um, definitely like a golden era. But it's like, I think sonically as well, like Gravemaker is kind of coming up around this time where like, you know, Backtrack and um, Expire and all those, like that kind of sound. It's like, it's still hardcore. And then there are some bands who like lean a little bit more melodic, a little bit more um, metallic, but it kind of all kind of works well within that pocket. Um and yeah, like I think sometimes it's also good to have like slightly differing of, I guess, like you want to have a unified vision and an agreed upon vision of what you're trying to do. But like if you're trying to push a little bit more heavier and then you have someone who's trying to be a little bit more logic, it creates like a bit of like a like sure. a tension that kind of like you're pulling in opposite directions to kind of bring like a really unique kind of product. For sure. Everyone kind of all being in the same like box and then it kind of feels cookie cutter to 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 a degree yeah no for sure it was good and the boys threw me a bone like they let me pick uh last breath by hate breed so i got we got to scratch that itch so we play that (laughs) that song (laughs) on tour that that was fucking always a blast 
Right. <clears throat> I wish I I hope that one day like someone could do the 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 Lord's work into seeing how many bands in their existence, whether like a small little band that was around for a year or a giant Jordan Norris band that's still going on, how many bands cover it hate breed in their, <laughs> in their lifetime? Because oh, it's yeah. like it almost feels like a requirement. Dude, it feels the wrong best if to you do don't it. do it. They're the best to do it, man. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm old now, older now, and I still listen to satisfaction and perseverance and it hits the exact same way it did the first time I heard it. Right. Yeah, they're yeah, they're the best to do it. Actually, we got to do our record release uh, in Seattle. I don't know who set that up for us, but we played the Graceland, which is called I think El Corzo now in Seattle, which was the venue I grew up going to as a young young up and comer. We did our record release there. I don't know who got that set up. We got Hatebreed to fly in to play it with us. They played their first half. Their set was all their old shit, and then for the first forty five minutes, and then they did all their newer stuff for the last forty five minutes. So all like the the metal bros and stuff chilled on the side and let us just beat the fuck out of each other. And then <laughs> and then that set that you know that that was over. Then all the, the, the metal guys came in and then they got to do their push mosh release. It was it was awesome, man. That was one of the craziest yeah. shows we ever played. I really wish there was more footage for shows like that. Like we played a lot of shows that were teeny tiny floor shows with ten kids, but we also got to play a handful of ones that were very memorable. Like that one, for example. I just wish there was more footage. I would love to see it. Yeah. It was like <clears throat> kind of going through the archives, like the amount of bands that I saw you guys either opening for on a tour or, you know, e even just kind of being direct support kind of during their up and coming time is so crazy. Like how many bands we play with? Yeah. Like I would see yeah. foundation, like foundation on there, like tons of like you did a number of tours with Comeback Kid as well. Um, yeah. And just like, yeah, so many bands. It's like, man. Like if you brought this lineup to modern day, it would be like crazy. And I'm sure like, and you know, it's just, it's just kind of wild to see where, what happens on, a in the spider web of like all these bands kind of coming up and, you know, you never know. And Dude. I think it's important to kind of document it, whether you do, you know, taking all those posters and talking about it here on a podcast or you film shows. Yeah, I agree. Whatever. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. that's honestly kind of why i was stoked to do this because i haven't talked about this in so long and so since we agreed to do it you've been so nice about asking me and i'm always like no i'm too busy no i'm too busy and finally I'm like dude just do it because like i might as well <laughs> speak on it before like i forget dude because i've been hitting the head lots and my memory's not that great so it's been nice to actually go down this last few weeks and, and kind of and and back to what you were saying like with with the bands that we toured with that were new and watching them blow up that was always cool like i remember when expire first started like they were you know, I think their first tour was with was with us. It was Wisdom and Chains or like Foundation, like when they I were on the up and Wisdom up. Wisdom and Chains, you guys backtrack and expire. I think something like that. Yeah, like backtrack. Yeah. I think backtrack was like getting some traction. We were getting some traction. Expire wasn't didn't exist. That Zach dude, I think he sold merch for us for a couple tours. He was always super shy and quiet, and then he got in that band. They blew up. It's mm -hmm. it was it was cool seeing bands like do their thing. Um, who else? Fuck man. That terror tour we did. I'm looking at a poster that says Foundation, Harness, You Guys, and Twitching Tongues, which is like... Yeah, hell yeah. That's so fucking awesome. That's awesome. Up. So uh, we... A lot of that is to do with Bailey and Wayne, though, man. Like, Wayne, uh, Bailey booked tours for a living, still does. 
Mm-hmm. And that dude networks like crazy. And same with Wayne. Wayne and him just network like crazy. Obviously, I knew my people. Like even we play a show with Trapped Under Ice. I'd go up to Justice. I'm like, hey, can I have your phone number? And then I would just fucking pester him. Like, I'm sure I annoyed the hell out of him. I'm trying to get him. Like, seriously, that's what we would do, right? And then right. Bailey knew tons of bands and like the ghost inside. We would play with the ghost inside. Dude, we don't sound anything like the fucking ghost inside. But those dudes, I guess, thought we had a lot of heart. And they were like, you know what? We're going to help you guys. And then they would take us on tour or mm-hmm. stick to your guns. That dude, Jesse, he sang on one of our songs. And we don't, you know, we're not in the same league as Which those guys. And Jesse they, sang on? He sang on one of the songs off that last full length, um, Ghost Among Men. I forget what the song is. But like, if it's you know, those, or not. those dudes would like look out for us and take us on tour because we had a lot of heart and we were on tour all the time. And and they would always hold true. They'd be like, yeah, we should play, we should, we should play some shows one day. And sure as shit, you know, within a few months, we'd be like jumping on their tour for five shows, you know, sometimes a month. You know, yeah, I don't know. It was cool. We played a lot of, like some of the funnest tours we did. There was no hardcore bands on tour. Like that four-year strong uh, Set Your Goals tour. Those were all hardcore kids playing in pop punk bands. And we, I think we opened or were the second band to play every day. And it was a fucking blast. Because during our set, we're covering Buried Alive and Hatebreed. And so you had all these guys that are hardcore kids playing pop punk bands, and they would just destroy their fans. I remember Four Years Strong would like go on stage because they were wear these white shirts, and they would literally have blood on their shirts from beating the shit out of people during our song, which was probably their fucking fans. And then right. they'd go up and play there. It was it was it was awesome, man. And like Dang. we we would do like load-ins on that tour. There was five bands, it was like us. It was sorry. It was like four years strong. Set your goals. Us. I can't remember the other bands. Let's see if I can find oh, that poster. Oh, what was that band called? Fireworks in Detroit. Um, and uh, <clears throat> during loaded every day, they would play Pantera, the song, the sound guy. And I shit you not, every day on that tour for a month, we would load in gear to these empty venues. The sound guy would have Pantera cranked, and every dude was just moshing. There'd be like twenty-five <laughs> of us. Just like the whole, because we had the whole venue to ourselves, right? And it was, it was like some of the, some of the best memories. Actually, we ended up getting tattooed on that tour. Justin was playing for us. He, he tours with DJ now, and he got Gig Life tattooed on his leg. So some guy t- came to our Cleveland show and tattooed Gig Life on all of our legs, and everyone got super affected, like up in some sweaty ass venue in Cleveland. But yeah, Dude, it was good times. Set your goals, <clears throat> Warrior Strong, Fireworks, The Swellers, and Gravemaker is such a that's what it was. Crazy. Yeah unexpected tour package but that's that's literally guys who set your goals being like hey we're buddies like because i tour with maddie set your goals when we were kids when we were in high school right um and he's like yeah we'll take you on tour and dude dudes always did even on tours we sound like no other band we just had a lot of heart and guys liked us you know wayne just everybody loved wayne bailey was such a like good he was good at his job in booking and networking and then mm-hmm. i knew a handful of people so we would just get scooped up even dudes from parkway drive like dude we have no business touring Parkway Drive, but I knew some of the guys from, from previous uh, tours and stuff. And they're like, yeah, we'll take you on tour. Sure, yeah. shit. Take us on a U.S. tour. Like, had no business playing in front of that many people. But the guy, yeah, it was just cool because they're hardcore kids playing in metal bands or hardcore kids playing in punk and pop punk bands. But we all are from, like, the same upbringing, so they would scoop us up. So, yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> it seems like, um, you know... Obviously, you know, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but by the time you guys are putting out Ghost Among Men, that gets that puts you on to to victory. But even in the midst of that, like, were you guys always trying to be as DIY as possible because you had people like Bailey within the the core group versus trying to rely on other people to do stuff for you? 
to be honest, man, like never really thought about it. It was just, we need merch. Bailey started a merch company. We need to go on tour. Bailey started a touring company. Uh, sorry, a booking company. Right. Wayne and I helped where we could. Bailey was a fucking workhorse, man. He booked and booked and booked. And we were also kind of guinea pigs for him. Like we did the first band ever tour Central America. We did a handful of shows down there in Mexico. And he had contacts all over. So Bailey would do all our booking. And then we would print our shirts for, for nothing at a screen printing shop, a couple bucks. And then we just, yeah, we always just stayed at people's houses. I always slept in the van. That was my job. In my freaking pea brain, I thought if anybody tried to break in, if I was sleeping in the van, I'd stop them, which would never <laughs> happen. But that's what I thought at the time. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like everything was DIY because I didn't know there was another option. I mean, we never even, we never even used that word. There was DIY. We didn't even talk about it. It was just like, Hey, this needs to get done. Let's put in some fucking work. We yeah. did a lot, a lot of shows, a lot of touring. It was always about the band. And like, we were lucky enough that we booked so many shows back to back that there was no time to go home and try to, okay, now I got to get a job. It's like, if we're going to do this, let's just stay on tour. And like, I'd come home for a week and like stay with some buddies. And it's like, okay, next tour. Okay. Next tour, next tour. Cause it was easier to stay on tour and and just keep playing shows there was a couple of stints where we took some time off and i would go up north and work on the oil rigs or i'd sure. go work construction to go pay off some merch bills or pay off the van bill and then you just go right back to tour again so yeah it was always diy i guess just because there was no other option you know right. there was just what people did back then yeah like <clears throat> so it's it is i guess maybe maybe just it was just the way that you guys were doing about doing things where maybe in a couple of years, you know, not to say that other bands aren't doing a similar kind of thing where they're just like, well, we need to make it happen. And then maybe the, like, you know, the, the history as far as when the, the terminology of DIY was, was kind of coined is, is something that we could probably spend a lot of time learning sure. about, but like, just, it was kind of like necessary just to take, all of the ownership and responsibility and the actual action behind doing something because like like again this is during a time where like you're emailing and you're like like calling people on a payphone you you don't like you're looking at a map when you're driving to these shows like you know technology has come so far and and has kind of made it so a lot easier to be in a band I'll oh yeah that. but yeah, like for sure. at the time like if you really wanted to be on tour and do all these things like it was your it sound it it sounds like it it required your whole being and your whole life to be able to, sure. to make it happen it, it did man and like and i wouldn't change it for the world like we hit it hard for i would say five years and then we all started a new uh you know new journey but it was kind of the best way for us to do it because like bailey and wayne and i were still best friends we still talk all the time but it's like hey if we want to do this we just got to go full in when we were doing a lot of those shows that Bailey was booking, they were small, <clears throat> small in the beginning, but like I booked shows in Vernon. I had rented out a little strip mall and I remember like making all my posters at Staples and going around town on every freaking pole and doing shows for hardcore bands and providing a jam space. So then when we started touring, you know, in my early twenties and stuff, a lot of those promoters that Bailey was getting a shows with just reminded me when I was doing shows. And so we'd always have like a deep sense of appreciation because I know how much work went into like doing this show and we'd always like, you know, we always would just try to be appreciative and like, it always was, you know, full circle kind of, I always, you know, filled my heart, you know, going to like, we'd be in the Midwest or Alberta was always great to us. 
playing shows all over. And these kids were playing floor shows at VFW halls. And I'm like, this is the fucking shit. This is mm-hmm. awesome. Cause this is what, this is like what I used to do when I was booking shows for a short little period of time. And um, yeah, like we do, like we, that whole DIY term and stuff is, is where we felt the most comfortable floor shows doing it ourselves. We signed a victory <clears throat> for me. It was cool in a sense. Cause that was like kind of my, my gateway into hardcore in the nineties, like victory records and Darcy's house getting little care packages and stuff. Right. But like before that, like DIY is where we felt the most comfortable because the handful of shows we had to play with a barricade. Fuck me. That was the worst. I remember feeling like I felt like a circus act. It was like 20 or not 20, but there's like, you know, 10 feet from the stage to the barricade where the kids are. I'm like, dude, we don't belong here. <laughs> right. This shit. I'd rather play four shows. I'd rather be, I want kids jumping on my head and like choking me out and grabbing the microphone. Like that's where I felt the most comfortable. It wasn't at those big shows it, as much as the dudes in Parkway drive and, the, and those shows were cool to see. It was never as good as the floor shows, you yeah. know, and the DIY and the people bringing the freaking pe- little Caesar's pizzas or the big tubs of pasta noodles with just the red sauce. And you're, <laughs> You know, you know, like, yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned, yeah, you guys did a handful of touring all through the States. You did Europe, you did Mexico. The One of the last things that I'm seeing as far as just shit on the, on the internet was you guys did like Southeast Asia. Yeah. What, was there any like memorable experiences or shows or, or moments from that? Um, you know, cause we're kind of getting towards maybe, the, the closing aspects of, uh, of grave maker here. One of the most memorable moments was me pissing off my entire band. Cause I got no bar fighter first day and fucking <laughs> that went south real fast in, in Bangkok. But anyways, no, the shows were, the shows were awesome, dude. Like the hardcore scene in Singapore was like a huge surprise, mm-hmm. like an actual, like genuine hardcore scene, you know, 200 kids, maybe 150, 200 kids, maybe more, Malaysia, we played some festivals. Thailand has a freaking awesome hardcore scene. I think Bailey booked us. Oh man, I don't want to misspeak here. I know Japan was nine shows in two weeks. That was in 2010. And then I think Bailey had us, I think we did like a week of relaxing and then a week of shows. And we did like a couple of Malaysia, a couple in Indonesia, Thailand or Bangkok, and then Singapore. And I think Bailey had like seven shows maybe. Um, and it was, it was awesome, dude. It was so cool. Like being across the planet and you're seeing all the same mad ball shirts and sick of it all shirts that you would see, you know, back home at a show in Seattle or Vancouver and, you know, kids are pitting and singing along to one or two of your songs. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Singapore, Singapore had a really, that, that show was awesome. Um, and then yeah. Bangkok, they, 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 they produce a good hardcore scene there too. Mm-hmm. Did you get, were you getting in a fight at the venue or was that a, 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 a different bar that you were at? No, these guys <laughs> tried to take me. I'm not, I'm not asking you to, no, to get into I, it. No, I don't want I, to. I'll just, I'll make it really quick because I hate fucking people talking about fight stories. It sounds cheesy as hell. But there was some stuff going down and two of the guys in my band were like, hey, I don't get a good feeling about this place we're at. Like people are trying to grab our walls. And I'm like, well, you're, you know, being a wimp. I'm just going to hang out here and keep hanging out. And then sure as shit, those guys kind of, tried to do the same thing to me and then i turned around hit the first one but i didn't realize how many guys he was with and it just fucking all hell broke loose right and uh i was black and blue and shirt ripped off and it was uh anyway so the guys in the band were like we told you 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 should have left and i was like all right i'm sorry and so then but the rest of the tour was great we met a lot of guys and like from the australian hardcore scene and like 
kids were coming to like multiple shows and the shows, the shows were awesome, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. There's a, there's a really cool band. I don't know if you know of, um, uh, they're called whispers. They're from Bangkok. Hell fucking yeah. Dude, Hell yeah. So I, heavy. I, I'm very curious. I'm going to DM one of the, um, one of the guys, cause we had two of them on, um, on the podcast to be like, Hey, were you at, uh, the immortal bar in Bangkok seeing uh grave maker in, uh, 2013 by chance. Sweet. Um, yeah. but yeah. So cool. I guess like, I don't know if there <clears throat> was a specific, um, re like, w- w- you know, a- as far as bands breaking up, like there's so many reasons as to why that can be. Was there kind of like a, pretty clear one for grave maker or was it kind of like we had a great run you know we got to put out all these great records and a lot of people have stuff changing in their lives and it's time to call it like uh what was kind of like the the point where things started to turn in that direction um so like we started writing 2007 toured from 2008 to 2013 the end of it I was, you know, working in construction and like working on the oil rigs and kind of picking up money. And I just, I kind of like bought my first place and how do I say this? I wanted to keep playing shows, but then I went back to school in 2013. And when I went back to trade school, that was five years and it was balls to the wall, like night school with working days, 12 hour day after 12 hour day after 12 hour day, which is what I still do. But I just, I didn't have the time and Bailey and Wayne are so freaking patient. And they're like, Hey man, we'd love to go back out. I'm like, yes, yes, I'm down. I'm down. And then another project would start and work would fire up. And I would, I don't know how many times I canceled on them. And I always kind of felt a little bit bad because we're homies. Right. And they mm-hmm. want to play shows. But, um, I just, yeah, it's just, just life, man. Like I got into, you know, some, some, some grown-up shit and my trade is very, uh, intense and I'm, I'm never home. And if I get a little chunk of time off, it's like, I want to kind of go sit on a beach and turn my brain off. I guess, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just, I kind of fell, I fell off. You know, I don't even really go to shows that much anymore. Cause I wake up at 4am every day. I work 12 hour days. I usually don't get home till 7 PM at night. I hang with my girl for an hour or two, go to bed, start all over again. Like I got a bunch of hardcore kids in the elevator trade and they've totally turned their life around. They're all homeowners now. Like they're fucking killing it and they're still active. And I kind of live through them. Like, Hey, you got a new, new bands for me. And they'll send me some new hardcore bands and stuff. But I just, I've kind of fell off. I'll go see their bands play juice or, uh, yeah. Shout out to Taylor. You know what I'm saying? Like Taylor's the shit, dude. He's such yeah. a fuck. And he's done so much for the scene in Vancouver. Like when I oh. started going to shows here, Taylor's the man. He's fucking You're, awesome. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. He's, <clears throat> um, I remember meeting him. Uh, so quick little Taylor side, yeah, yeah. side, side quest here. So I knew of another melodic band from, um, uh, from Vancouver called take heart. And they cool. kind of had the counterparts kind of vibe to them. So they had, you know, we're very smart and had kind of like technical riffs. And then they started this side project band called Throwing Bricks. And it was essentially the exact same lineup, but Taylor was on bass. And that was my introduction oh, nice. to him. And then Sweet. obviously like, you know, Worldview would come out to Calgary and play the fest, you know, when you know my past bands would be doing that. And then, um, yeah, I've been a big fan of Taylor for ever since i've known him he was one of the very first i think he's within the first 
25, maybe 30 uh, episodes of the podcast. Um, oh, hell yeah. So Sweet. He's, uh, yeah. And to see him kind of, you know, do so much uh, that he did uh, through DPK for, um, um, like, doing shows and then kind of, like, pass the torch to now. It's here now that's doing it, but obviously still involved yeah. in playing stuff. Um, I think him getting into doing... Like, what's the technical word? Because in my doc, I said, I just said elevator shit, but I don't know what the technical Yeah, that works. I like that. <laughs> um, so elevator technician, elevator okay. installer. Like Taylor and I and Brad Collis, he plays in that band, Poison Seeds. Um, and Drop Andy, in some new music. Andy right from Get The... Yeah, Andy Patillo from Get The Most um you know my buddy matt, matt mcdonald got him in he's just like a hardcore kid grew up with so i've got a bunch of my buddies in the trade um but what was the question sorry you asked what taylor oh, oh the, to the, well, the titles it's elevator yeah, mechanic yeah. or elevator technician but like there's a couple different departments we build them from scratch so we go to a brand new tower with a 50 story uh, blank shaft and we go in there and we install it bit by bit bolt by bolt every piece of steel and we'll be there like this tower I'm on now I'll be there for 10 months, 12 hours a day. Right. Right. So yeah, I got Taylor and I know some of his buddies kind of break his balls too. Like, Oh, we never see you anymore. And even with Brad Collins, when I got in the elevator trade, he's like, I never see you. And he would get, kind of get a little pissed off at me. Then I got him in the trade and he's like, okay, I get it now. It's just right. kind of consumes you. Right. Which is a yeah. good thing. Cause the, the money's good and it's a, you know, it's a good career, but uh, definitely I kind of fell off from hardcore. Cause I just, I'm not up fucking late enough. You yeah. Know? Well, and yeah, like when you're able to, you know, like I, I find that when you go down different like career paths, you kind of like, I think it's totally fine when, you know, you've been doing something for so long and then you have like a chapter or season in your life where you're just like, I got to focus on this. Cause there's been a lot of people who've been on the podcast where they have that kind of time, but then they can come back with like, and like a new project because like maybe they're, taking a step back a little bit because it's like you know i want to take care of my body a little bit more because yeah. i've been going really hard for so long so i think it's like more about the aspect of i think i think there is two sides of the coin as far as like the what's the long game and how much you do over the course of your life versus like what are you doing right now but i don't think there's any you know i don't think there's any credibility that needs to be like proved on a daily basis because it's like with your discography and how much you guys did as one band over five years is like, that's more than a lot of people in bands nowadays or would it even come close to. Thanks, man. I, and to be honest, dude, that's kind of why I didn't want to do the podcast. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm not, I'm not current. I don't, I don't know anything. Like I, I that's why I kept saying no to you. Cause I'm like, who wants to hear me talk? Like I haven't, I don't <laughs> haven't played in a band in like over a decade, but I was like, you know what, kind of what you and I said earlier, like I might as well just sit down and chat with you for an hour or two. Cause you know, when I'm old one day and I've had, you know, uh, uh, enough hits to the head to have a bad memory, I can always go back and like listen. And, and it's right. good good to document for myself. And and uh, yeah, that's why I was kind of asking you, could you just do Wayne or Bailey? Because like, <laughs> I'm like, they're, they're way more they're way more cool than I am. I mean, like, I love those dudes. But anyways, I, 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 like I'm always down to, to have multiple <laughs> members of a band on. Yeah. I like kind of like building you know, a, a full picture of, you know, the, sure. the the lore of a band through multiple members. But let's continue to talk um, ele elevator technician or as we've coined sure. elevator, elevator shit. shit. 
<laughs> like, do you have anyone else in your family that like puts you onto that, or are you kind of like the the first gen of like doing that? And like, what? How did you discover that slash like figure out about that? So I was I was I was playing in, in Grade Maker, and there was this hardcore kid, kind of a legend in the Calgary scene back when I was going to shows. Daryl Marsh, have you heard of him? He's an Marsh. older guy now. He's probably in his forties now. Oh, he okay. lives in a he's kind of a rougher dude, but he was always an elevator mechanic and rowdy and scrappy. And him and I were always good buddies. And when I worked on the oil rigs, he's like, you should come work in the elevator trade. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I make good money on oil rigs. Let's keep doing that. Well, then he got my little brother in and Christopher called me. He's like, Hey man, like free education. It's got good pension, good benefits, it's union. And I was like, okay, sweet. I would like to do it. So I just walked into the union hall here. They said, no, we don't accept walk-ins. I just walked in anyways. Um, I was running a crane on for a highway company here. And I just walked in, gave my resume, grabbed a couple business cards. And I harassed those guys every Monday for about six months till they finally got sick of me and put me to work. Right. And then when I got in, basically, like I had that, you know, I had some sort of a connection with that whole sense of like unionism, which I kind of related to the hardcore scene and just, I don't know how I'm going to explain this correctly, but I basically just got involved right away. I started volunteering all my time in union meetings. I started teaching at the trade school at night. I climbed my way up to be the president of our local, which is like one of the strongest unions in North America. And I just wow. went balls to the wall, like just everything into it the way I did the hardcore, right? And then when I, as soon as I was finished school, I dumped all that free time into more unionism. And um, I did that for like seven years. I just recently resigned last year. I'm letting some of the younger guys step up and do it. But yeah, like I, I still work on the tools full time for one of the big companies here running towers, work with lots of fucking awesome up, young up and comers and all that time, you know, all that, what's the word, like the, the connection and like the brotherhood you got from hardcore and playing in bands. I have it on my job sites. I build massive projects with tons of young guys and we, you know, we listen to freaking lots of skinhead music and, you know, Whis whiskey rebels and like lion's law. We listen to punk. Cox bar while I'm teaching all these guys like how to build elevators and how to like, I, I don't know. I, I definitely fill that void that I got from hardcore with my work and with the unionism and building elevators and running these jobs. And I just, I love my guys and my crew and I take care of my guys and I spend 12 hours a day with them six days a week. And right. so yeah. I feel very, I feel very grateful and it's also kind of hard to take time off. So I just kind of, I, I haven't really been able to, to kind of give Bailey and Wayne or any of our fans like steady dates to go back on tour. So yeah, I just kind of replaced one with the other and it has filled the void. It's given me purpose. Um, like I enjoy working with all the young up and comers and I enjoy working with my hands and building shit. And I don't, I don't know if you've heard the company told Otis, they're like a pretty big worldwide elevator company. They got a lot of shit here, a lot of big towers. So O D I S. Pardon me. It's O T I S. Oh, oh, so, yeah, they're like a big worldwide elevator company. So, yeah, they, they've been great to me, oh, man. Worldwide. Like, let's yeah. Go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> but, yeah, so kind of my part, too, like as I got in, was just any of my buddies that were like killing it hard. Like Taylor was such a hard worker, but he was not being treated well. Underpaid, overworked, scooped him up, gave him an opportunity. Andy, same thing. Super talented. Over or, uh, overworked, underpaid, scooped him up. And I just kept doing that to all my buddies that were in the hardcore scene, where I call the same thing, super hard worker, underpaid, taken advantage of, scooped him up. So I kind of gave all my buddies in the hardcore scene, you know, their own like keys to the door and they, they paved their own path by themselves. But that was kind of me giving back a little bit. So, yeah. I love, I love uh, 
the, <clears throat> the beginning when you were mentioning of like, oh, we don't do walk-ins. And I feel like when you tell someone who has the har- the hardcore upbringing to be like, oh, we don't do this. And it's like, <laughs> oh, watch me just just be so unrelentingly like in your face for six months. Yeah, dude, um, I know. They, I think but, they gave me the job because they're like, can you make this fucking guy stop calling me? Just put him to work. Yeah. And then but I like, start and they're like, sorry, go on, you go. No, I was just going to say like, I think a lot of people don't really uh, recognize like how many like skills and like just different behaviors that you can build and disciplines that you can build when you play in just shitty little punk and hardcore bands. And a lot of people like if, if people want to stay within like the music industry and still apply that and, you know, become a, like a booking agent or they're a band manager or they're like a musician, they've been able to do that. Like, that's great. But I, I'm a believer that you can take those things and you can input it into any and all industries that you're working in. Um, And it might, even when it feels like unconventional, like it's still like, you know, I, there are a lot of asked, like, it's really funny. I know that uh, you were mentioning, um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but uh, I was on your Instagram and I saw that you posted um, your, um, like you sold your, one of your places in Vancouver a couple, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and I do real estate video and, and photography. So I was like, kind of like watching True. it from that yeah, perspective as well. But like there are aspects of my job when I'm going out and I'm talking to people and I'm like managing my day that I'm like, this is, this is stuff that like I trace back to when it's like you're in a band and you're like, you know, a problem arises and you're scrapping, you know, a backup plan to a backup plan together to, to make something happen or like how, you know, and a lot of people, like even just the resiliency of problem solving, is like something bad happens and they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. And then like for, for people like us who have the the experiences that we have, we're like, okay, we're just onto the next thing and we're just like, you know, making it happen. So yeah, like at, at least was that kind of like when you were getting into doing the elevator work, was that like instantly or were you kind of like, Oh, I want to kind of make a shift here and like trying to, to do more. Cause it's second nature for me. I I've always worked construction and I've always worked with my hands and like, even on tour gray maker, I was always, we would do our, our own oil changes in the back of Walmart parking lots. And we would, <laughs> You know, Wayne was handy and like Bailey and I went to the rigs together for the first time. So like I was always like a construction guy playing in a hardcore band. I remember guys would stick to your guns, like having van issues and they would ask us what's going on or I'd be sleeping in the back of the van, which is rare because I did, I had to do most of the driving for a good chunk there. I just hear a tap on the window. Hey, can you back our trailer up? I'm just like, yeah, sounds good. I get out. My bad. Because I like, you know what I'm saying? And it, it, was, right. it was, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. But when I got into that, industry like it was just it, i didn't stop to really think about it man i've always just been very moving forward never take the time to really stop and think it's something i'm actually working on because i'm never really present if that makes any sense Dude, um, but i'm just exactly sucking, fucking, i'm just yeah. super super fucking driven and i'm like always 10 steps ahead and that was i learned that before i was a grave maker probably hustling when i was out on, on my own for those younger years and then that that transformed into grave maker work ethic like wayne and bailey like insane work ethic those two still to this day i had it as well and we dumped all that energy into the band and then when grave maker like organically stopped playing shows then wayne did the same fucking thing with his leather company 
Bailey as well. They've both done amazing for themselves. And then I dumped mine into construction or trades. And I never really stopped to think about it, man. I've always just had this drive and work ethic. I've just, I've been blessed. I don't know. I don't know where I get it from, but um, I just don't have any quit in me. And I'm just, like you said earlier, like anytime there's a problem, it's like, okay, cool. How are we going to fix it? It's not like, oh, why is this always happening to me? Or, oh, what am I going to do? It's like, okay, cool. What's, what's the solution? You know, and that's that's the way that's the way to have a, a better quality of life, in my opinion. I don't really stop for too long if things go south. It's like, okay, we got to fix this. Right. So, and yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like I always had, I always had guys that I toured with that were built the same way. Like very rarely do we have guys who are like complaining or didn't want to be there. It was like, dude, it was relentless. We did show after show after show after show. Tired, no sleep, fucking dollar menu from Wendy's malnourished and no one said a fucking word dude you know the guys were so good respect to the dollar menu wendy's and not mcdonald's yeah yeah. a little little higher quality (laughs) levels yeah but yeah so yeah i don't know i don't know that answers your question but uh i didn't really take too much time to think about it It was just basically on to the next and it was really fucking hard to get in so i basically just went like balls to the wall because the layoffs are so high right like it's it's a very hard industry to get in. So as soon as I got in, I'm like, I, I refuse to be laid off. Right. So I made sure to out, outwork everybody. So the supervisors would come to site and start laying guys off. And then the senior guys would be like, McRae's thing. I'd be like, copy that thing. And I would just fucking work my ass off for those guys. And so I always I've always had a job during all our big layoffs and stuff. I've never been laid off. And I guess that's... Is that how that it works? From... Is like, you could just be at, you know, your job site. And then someone comes in, they're like, we're cutting like labor and they're just yep. bang, bang bing bang boom yep wow that's crazy well well the wages are a livable wage the companies aren't going to pay you if there's no work so development is done so i'll say project like i'm on a 52 story tower in town here as soon as this tower is done if they don't have a tower for me to go to they're not going to just pay us to stay at home so they everyone right. gets laid off so you always right. want to be a step ahead of everybody you know, that's the wrong way to say it. You always just want to do, to be good at your job, right. you know? And if you fuck around and you're a slacker and you no-show, when it's time for layoffs, like, those are the guys that'll get treated accordingly First and the go. ones that bust bust ass and, and do what they're, they're paid to do, then those are the guys that stay, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, even <clears throat> there's aspects of, like, there's a lot of bands that will just kind of, like, phone it in and just kind of do some stuff, but it's when it's, like, the bigger opportunities, like, the fests and you know the bigger those things like there's obviously going to be like certain levels of like so-and-so knows so-and-so and and there's some of that but like i find nowadays when a a festival announcement comes up it's like i would say 90 percent of the bands on that poster deserve to be there and i and and you just become an undeniable force in that way and i think that you can do that with your work as well like you know there's aspects with um with my job where like, you know, um, when I've been just doing what I do just to the best of my abilities. And then my boss is calling me and being like anything luxury that we have coming through, I'm giving it to you because like certain people are like either not performing as well or just, you know, a little bit, bit like things are just a little, not as consistent as your stuff. And I want to be able to like, you know, you be my go-to person for that. Hell yeah. It sounds like, that's awesome. you know, it's the same for you. It's like, you know, if, 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 even if there's one guy that's left, it's gotta be, it's gotta be McCray. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I tell guys too, that I work with, you know, when I was teaching school and running towers and stuff is like your attitudes 
is the most important thing because we can teach people how to build things. We can mm. pe- teach people how to build elevators. But I've worked with some of those talented mechanics that have the fucking worst attitude. They get nowhere because people don't want to work with them, right? So for yeah. me, I don't think I'm an amazing elevator installer. I think I'm a good mechanic. I'm decent at my job, but it's attitude over everything. And that's how you thrive in these big groups. You sit on a high-rise crew with 15 guys. Personality and attitude is everything, right? Um, I've always been pushing that. I want guys to come in and you know have a good attitude, leave your drama at home. And, um, you know, and then building elevators will come later, right? So, yeah. Jocko, I, I was listening to the Joe Hardcore episode. I love how Joe from uh, This Is Hardcore just instantly just went. Hell yeah. Have you listened to it yet? Sorry, can you say that again? You just lagged a little bit on my end. Oh, I was saying I was listening to your podcast with Joe Hardcore. And he oh. just went off the start of your podcast about Jocko. Have you listened to it yet? It's <laughs> yeah. so good. It was, um, it was like, like all the love to, to, to Joe, but Jordan and I were talking after. It was like, was that like a, did he just like shoe in like, an ad for Jocko? Totally, I feel like I, I need to get a piece of that. If, uh, hell if yeah. Hell um, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, that is very funny that you brought that up. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of avid listeners of that show probably feel the same way. Um, but yeah, again, for sure. much love to Joe. And, yeah. uh, a, a, a very middle level love to, to Jocko. I have no question yeah. in that race. Yeah, um, I gotcha, gotcha. Here's a question, and this might sound a little just random, but did you, when the whole aspect of like the fear of heights is kind of like, oh, like, you know, if you're whatever, like I have recently thought about this because I knew we had this coming up and I shot. Um, I shot a townhouse on like the 24th floor of a, a, a space downtown. And I was like, this is high. <laughs> and I can only yeah. imagine if you're doing 52 stories, um, you know, it's, it's double that. So when you were getting into that, did you, you were like, oh yeah, I'm good with heights. And then it's like, oh, we are this high. Or are you like, no, I could be like on a hundred story building and I'm, I'm chilling. Um, I don't have your heights. I'm, I'm lucky in that aspect huge huge part of Gravemaker we used to tour every time we rolled to a town in Kentucky or Switzerland or whatever we'd find the locals where is their fucking cliff we can jump off of it was always oh, to find water like Bailey Wayne and I thought oh, dude and so I've, I've been lucky man I don't have a fear of heights uh, the boys and I did do a lot of cliff jumping and stuff growing up and right. Gravemaker days but when I got in the trade it was just like hey this is what we're doing so I just you don't think about it you know you're five 500 feet in the air scaling beams and everything looks so small down there that it's hard to fathom some days and so but you know we were given like proper equipment and stuff like that and i build everything from scratch so i build my brakes and my guides and everything and i trust my work and i go over my guys work and it's 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 pretty safe man like the heights part of it i mean if you're scared of heights i guess you're kind of screwed but I've just, I've never had a, I've never had a pure heights and I got no issues climbing around in there. Um, I enjoy on the, the uh, on the application form. Like, are you good? Well, with the, yes dude, no. I, it should be because the amount of grown ass men that have been sent to my site 
that I'm like, Hey, hop on that and move it for me. And they're like, wait, what? I'm like, jump on there and move that. And they're like, I can't I'm like, what do you mean? Like I got a sphere heights. So I'm like, you're in the wrong train, buddy. <laughs> like, or we've had guys like scale out on beams because we got to scale out on beams and do our work some days. And I've had guys like try to be all macho and they scale out and then they freeze. And they're like, I'm like, okay, come on, come on back. And they're like, they're frozen. I got to go out there and fucking save them, bring them back in. I'm like, Hey, I think oh. you need to find a job. So we did those guys squeak in once in a while, but for the most part, like just, you just don't think about it, dude. Yeah. Just get in there, get after it. There's always, there's so much going on with all the rigging and hoisting and in construction too. It's like, it's fucking very high pace, very go and go. So you don't really have time to stop and think about yeah. your heights. And you just basically trust your equipment, trust your install. The most dangerous thing to be honest is my little brother is in a different department called maintenance. So he would go, I don't know if you guys have an elevator where you guys live, but basically all these existing residential buildings or commercial, they need a maintenance guy to maintain them, to keep them running. So Christopher and I work in two totally different worlds. His world in maintenance is actually, I don't know if someone would say more dangerous because it's one man work and the guys are walking into live buildings and the guys get crushed because they forget a safety circuit or that. Yeah. So that's oh, when I went to the union hall, I'd get, I'd get the, the paperwork or the pictures of the guys getting crushed and killed. And a lot of the times they're maintenance guys. They forget, you know, they forget to lock something out. Elevator comes, crushes them and, you know, gets them stuck in between the door, the elevator crushed with the counterweight crushed in the pit, you know, and construction, I guess everyone's a little bit more hyper aware because it's so fucking crazy. And it's like, sure. it's a huge, adre- a huge adrenaline rush when we're in there. I think that's half the reason why I like it. Mm-hmm. but there's so much going on and you're working in crews. So if I'm having a, a weak moment, I have multiple guys with me being like, Hey buddy, just heads up, like pay attention. To, and I'm like, okay, cool. Where are those right. maintenance guys? A lot of them are by themselves, you know, and unfortunately a lot of fatalities come with those guys. The death rate on, on a whole is quite high. Like it's a pretty dangerous trade, mm-hmm. but I feel in construction, I could just be biased, but I feel construction is dangerous because everyone's like a te- it's like a team environment. Right. And you're always like hyper aware, man. Like there's so much shit when you're looking at the hoistway, all our rigging and chains and ropes and wire. You're always like hyper aware when you're in that that work area. And I think yeah. the maintenance guys, they get complacent sometimes, you know? So anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that with whatever you're doing, when you have at least a couple other brains to bounce stuff off of, like even in my world, like a lot of the time I'm by myself or I'm just with like, you know, a realtor or a homeowner who's like letting me in. But like sometimes like when I'm doing photos at, at a property and then we have our, our, like one of our videographers who's doing it and we're like wanting to like, we were like, Oh, like this would be cool if we kind of like shot the, the kitchen countertop this way or like, you know, cause you can kind of like uh, bounce off of each other. Um, or in your case, like kind of hold each other accountable and like yeah. kind of aware of when things are happening. But yeah, a lot, it, it's probably obvious, but it's like a lot of stuff can go wrong if there's like, you know, just kind of like one vision and one kind of perspective when with big time. And and there's also the aspect of like when you know when there's, I guess like I, I'm not saying you have to kind of get into like who, who's to blame when a, fat, a fatality happens. Like because there's a lot of time where um like my dad comes through like he's in sales for the trucking industry and when I was working there like they would talk a lot about how. Uh, like if the company owns a truck and a bunch of different drivers are doing it and there's no kind of like post trip of yep. the vehicle to kind of make sure everything's good, 
a driver could pick it up. They do a pre-trip, and even if they don't catch something there, then something could go um, wrong down the road and maybe cause a crash or even uh, one to multiple fatalities. So I don't know if there's an aspect of that, but yeah, there's just so many moving parts in in your world. So it's it's unfortunate. Sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been a blast though, man. I mean, and it's been fun having some other hardcore kids join in because even Taylor, like, I'll go to see his band play once in a while, and you know, it's it warms my fucking heart, dude, to see how well he's done in the hardcore scene. Because I'm not speaking poorly of the scene when I started going to shows here in 2002, 2003 in Vancouver, and then four or five. But the scene just never was really there. Like there was like a decent amount of hardcore kids. And we'd saw like hate breed on tour here with Ensign. And like, we'd see, you know, certain bands would try to get across, but the border was always such a fucking nightmare. Right. Mm-hmm. And so our, our scene sucked. And maybe it was, maybe I had something to do with it. Maybe it's because I wasn't involved with booking enough shows and stuff, but uh, we were like, we were religiously going down uh, to Seattle and the States all the time to get our fix. And then I kind of, you know, I never really looked at Vancouver having that big of a hardcore scene and then watching like what Taylor and that whole generation, I don't know if you want to call it the generation after me or whatever that is. There's a bit of a gap. I, I've been to a handful of his shows and it's just like, I get goosebumps because I see these kids just pitting and like a yeah. lot of these bands are so heavy now, dude. And like, I love seeing that because I guess when I was younger going to shows here, it was more like youth crew and like melodic and like we would still dance hard, but now it's like heavy. I listened to your band recently. Like it's heavy, oh, which is what I'm, you. which is what I'm, which is what's awesome. Right. So yeah. And even Brad, like Brad's still loyal to the, to the hardcore and he's, you know, plays in poison seeds with my buddy of Rinder. I go went and see them play and just watching all these young kids just beat the piss out of each other. It makes me very happy. <laughs> it makes me happy. I, I love right. it, dude. Yeah. Right. Cause like that, I mean, I'm not going to go anywhere near cause I'm an old man now. I'm freaking, uh, I don't feel like getting punched in the face, but uh, it definitely warms my heart to see. And I still kind of have that little connection, even though we're, it's a working relationship, but they still fill me in. And like, I still try to go see their bands. I, I blast, I went see bad, uh, Brad Collis' band as soon as they were done. I'm just like, love you, buddy. I got to go over to bed. So <laughs> exactly. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see the rest was, of the bands, but yeah. What was the last show that you went to locally? Uh, dude, I, my girlfriend is in love with, um, what's that band called? Sitting, sitting color. And oh, so okay. I got us tickets and they played at Rogers arena. Dude, that venue is like 10 or 15,000 people. And the dude who wrote, um, home is where the heartache is at seven inch Matt Kelly. He plays in sitting color now. So oh, he's been with sitting color for like 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. Right. So yeah. we went and I bought, bought tickets for, for my girlfriend and I, and we went and saw them and I was uh, super late to like 10 PM, but it was worth it. Yeah. It was cool. We saw sitting color and mm-hmm. um, they're not a hardcore band by any means. And then um, before that was probably poison seeds. I went and saw Taylor and Brad and a render kick some ass in Surrey. I think that was a few months ago. Um, my buddy TJ plays at a few bands here. TJ Reynolds. I, I try to go see them, but it's pretty few and far between. Right. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty crazy on how far Vancouver has come in, uh, oh, man. in the last number of years. Crazy. Like, like I, I remember talking when when Taylor was on the podcast of like when he moved um, from. Uh, I can't remember if he's from New York or New, New York. Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So when he moved to, from New York and there wasn't as much just hardcore stuff i think that like there was a lot of punk shit happening but not like hardcore so to see all the stuff that he's done and then kind of passing the torch and like stuff is just 
stuff is going so well that when bands come on like a way bigger um tour package and they're playing the fucking um um what's the giant um venue guys have out there the rickshaw yeah yeah when it's like uh a five band bill that's playing the rickshaw and then they're doing like a two band after show at like three through three yeah triple three yeah 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 or i think even um recently i think um there was a a show with take offense you guys have played with take offense yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the day but they were coming through on tour i think the show got canceled and then here and now scooped them up and did like a really last minute um dope show at like bullies which is like a hundred maybe 120 yeah. cap like tiny little room but yeah, um, love it. that's just like the way and i think there's a lot of other people well throughout western canada i think that's gonna have some really good momentum built, being built did, behind it did taylor tell you when he got into hardcore in new york i think it was like? so it's been a so, long time so since when we he had says that, that there's chat he said there's no hardcore in new york like you just said a couple minutes ago it's because he grew up in like a small town, I think like four hours north or something like that. So it was like a smaller town in New York state. Oh, okay. And uh, when I met him, he was just a young, young up and comer. He, he told me, and I might be misspeaking here, but I think Graymaker was the first band or one of the first bands he ever heard or saw or listened to or whatever. And that wow. kind of like helped him get into hardcore. And then he moved out here and I think he saw us play a handful of times and then just got like involved in the scene. And now, you know, he's blown up and done tons, but yeah, I think, he was telling me that Gravemaker was one of the first hardcore bands he ever heard or saw. And it's just funny because then he ends up moving from New York State across the freaking continent to Vancouver. And then we become kind of buddies, right? And we're, you know, and we're now a coworkers. Bit, bit, bit of an age gap, right? But he was always right. just doing cool shit. And then, yeah, then got him in the trade and now we're coworkers. And I was actually just talking to him last night. So, yeah, it's just funny how life kind of unravels, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, <clears throat> it's very funny when you make connections again through music and whether it takes, you know, multiple years of coming through, like there, there's people that I, when I grew up in Winnipeg that I made connections through playing through shows. And it's like, like I'm, I'm almost like excited to like maybe run into that person when I'm coming through town to play a show or if I'm traveling and I just like randomly yeah. run into them. Cause then it's like, we pick up right where we left off, but that's um, awesome yeah there's always been a special connection with hardcore man i mean obviously i've said multiple times i'm a little detached but dude even when i've run into old homies that we even if we did one tour together you'd run into them and it was just like big hugs how you been you always have like a bond from touring with people and like playing Mm -hmm. shows and especially living in a van together like i don't see wayne and bailey nearly enough but anytime i run into them it's just like you know it's just like we never never skipped a beat you know and that's yeah. all from the hardcore scene and, and, and going to shows and playing in bands and stuff it's always it's always been a very unique friendship unique bond that i've never really had anywhere else obviously i'm in trades and stuff now and uh i work alongside a lot of union brothers but it's not ever been the same as the connection the relationship you have in the hardcore scene especially too like i find a lot of the hardcore kids that i grew up with and friends with and even people I know today, a lot of us came from the similar beginnings, right? A lot of felt felt like outcasts and, right. you know, harder times. And I don't want to say broken homes, but, you know, just not your traditional upbringing. And so the hardcore scene always kind of gave us a special bond. And like a lot of people too, man, we didn't have to talk about it. We just knew, right. you know, you just, you just, you just knew you were all cut from the same cloth and you all had some fucking, some fucked up shit go down when you were young. And then you just had like, hardcore scene as your outlet and like your family and 
your sense of belonging and stuff. So, yeah. Um, John, a couple other questions before we start to wrap up. Um, I was perusing on the Facebook and I saw that you guys made a post about um, that there might have been a Boost Mobile commercial with one of your songs on it. Do you remember that? I think I heard that. I think when we got signed to Victory, I think there was, I think you're right. It was a Boost Mobile and then there was maybe like another, what's that other show? It was like late night something or there was a nighttime show. I can find the, uh, the post. Because I think yeah, some th- people were saying it was in the commercial and then some people were was like, oh, it was just in the background of like the video that someone was taking. Um, I think there was two. From what I remember, there was two. One was like a commercial and one was on like a TV thing or something like that. I, I don't remember. If any. Oh, OK. Yeah. So this is from April 9th, 2011. <laughs> Can anyone help us find the Boost Mobile commercial that supposedly has a great Baker song in it? Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think I remember hearing about that. But yeah, but anyone who is listening who might have know where that is, <laughs> um, s- send that through because I I need to oh, yeah. see that. Oh, I, yeah. I will I will plug Blue Mobile if it means um, <laughs> nice. giving some some airtime to Gravemaker. Um, is there any in all the I guess like lyrical content when it comes to Gravemaker? Is there any lyrics that you wrote? You know, a lot of these songs are like almost 15 years old at, mm-hmm. at times, but is there any lyrics that you wrote that you find yourself revisiting in, in the current stage of your life? And you're like, wow, like I was talking to my future self here. Is there any of that? I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but <clears throat> I guess I always had a hard time listening to my own music and I don't know if other people are like that. I've heard people say they do podcasts and they can't even listen to themselves speak. I've always been really hard on myself and I've never, I've always had a hard time going back and listening to our own stuff and my own lyrics. And I critique myself. And like, I even do that with my installs. I'm like, I'll have an engineer come look at my install and I'm already pointing out like the two things I don't like. And he's like, dude, relax. It's, it's good. It's fine. And I'm like that with myself with music too. Like, um, I had to revisit our lyrics because I knew I was in the podcast with you and, um, I don't really revisit them to be honest, but I have been hit reading through some of the lyrics and, you know, getting a bit of the word sentimental because a lot of the lyrics, well, there was a bit of a group involvement with it. Like Wayne would help a little bit um, and myself and and we would like write lyrics together. But um, a lot of the lyrics that I wrote have a lot to do with like addiction and like escaping addiction or feeling like an outcast or, searching for a sense of belonging or it was uh sometimes when i go back and hear it or listen to it i just kind of like it's almost like that conversation we had earlier about like leaving vernon and like not wanting to associate with it so with grave maker like some of the lyrics it's kind of hard to read just because it's like a lot of stuff i wrote about was like kind of dark and when i was going through stuff but it also felt amazing screaming those lyrics that felt my fucking lungs at punk shows and hardcore shows but i don't really go back and revisit them often yeah, because um, it's like you know, a, a, a I don't know. former shed skin. For it is. Yeah. It is, and I'm grateful that I had it, but I've also, I've always just been really hard on myself, man. Even, like, I'm into powerlifting and stuff now, and, like, it's never good enough. My installs, I'm, always, I'm very fucking hard on myself, and same thing with Gravemaker. I was like, oh, I hate my voice, or oh, I hate my lyrics. And even though I'll get, you know, we'll have, you know, a handful of kids singing along and losing their mind, I'm still, like, I've always been kind of crit- 
like critical of my myself, but I've always admired fucking Wayne's drumming. I'll tell you that. And like working with Roger Camaro and working with the guys that helped us write all the songs, like they're fucking talented as hell and Bailey. But as far as visiting my lyrics, no, I don't really go back and have a super deep connection with them. I'm more so like, like oh, I'm happy. I'm not like living in like addiction anymore and like struggling sure. and, and I'm still alive. And I remember there was a lyric that I wrote, like I'm just trying to find it in the day about because when I was in Vernon growing up and like, like addicted to drugs and stuff, I was always told I would never see my 19th birthday because I'd be dead because that was what everybody predicted. And so like, I'd always sing that part and that, you know, when I was singing that line, I was like in my early twenties and then I made it to my thirties and now you know, I'm almost 40. That line was cool because I was always told I'd be dead um, yeah. from addiction or doing stupid shit. So like that one I kind of connected with, but um, yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I don't really no, look back yeah, yeah, too much I, to be I, honest. I, I, You've lived a lot of um, of life and a lot of life that's been like in totally different s- sectors and and uh, mm-hmm. and I think you know especially when you make art like sometimes it is for yourself at the time but like it also becomes timeless and it becomes applicable and um, you know people can listen to it and you know there maybe there's a, a subtle selfish hope that there's some kid in 2024 that I'm putting Gravemaker on in a way. And maybe they're listening and then they're reading the lyrics and they're dealing with something that's related to what you were dealing with. And, yeah, your, I gotcha. you know, late teens and early twenties. And like, that's to me, that's like a beautiful thing where we can Hell make yeah. stuff and it, it kind of exists, um, whether it's online or there's physical or there's a combination and people can in, in, their own lives discover it and then they can take something uh, I agree. on and have like a like it's a indefinite and uh infinite like ripple effect it's uh gotcha. it's pretty crazy but like i think the music on the musical side lyrics and songwriting and everything in between like it's burn me at sea specifically was such a informative and such a crucial record for me and it's pretty crazy on how me buying that at the cd store and then coming to this very moment here so yeah that's cool man very uh full circle just to that's awesome doing this with you man and i I love when you mentioned earlier like you bought it based on what it looks like because that was that was such a thing when we were younger was going to like the cd store i don't know how much they were back then and basically buying a cd just based off what it looked like exactly and then going home and being like yes this one's heavy (laughs) yes yeah Yeah, you're like awesome great yeah Um, now it's like now it's like freaking overload me because obviously i have spotify now and i listen to dude it's just like it's insane how much music's on there and it's like never ending right. to the point where i got songs on my playlist that i work out to that i don't even know who the fucking band is so i'm just like oh this song's heavy just because it just yeah, keeps yeah. spitting at the spotify radio right but um back then when we were younger it was like yeah go to this go to the store buy some based on what it looks like i hope this is heavy i hope this is heavy put yeah. it on and then yes. you're like Re- reading every lyric yeah yeah and sometimes it's like oh great I got a stinker and then you just like, <laughs> totally, you know, you have to go back totally. and, and hope for the best. Um, for sure. I, I, again, like may, maybe it's, uh, not the, the thing that's been thought about the most, but I, I, I gotta ask, has there been any discussions or thoughts about Gravemaker being on stage ever again in the, in the short or near future? Well, we discussed about going back on tour last year. Um, Bailey, and Wayne and I had a meeting and we were talking about going back out. I think it was last March. What year is it? 
what month is it? So yeah, basically a year ago. <laughs> year Sorry. <laughs> oh, dude, my life's a blur. So it was March of last year, I'm pretty sure. We were agreeing to go out and play a handful of shows Bailey wanted to do. Mexico, because Mexico has always been a second home for us. The hardcore scene in Mexico is insane. And then do some Southern California shows. And so we had like one or two meetings and we're like sourcing out who play guitar. And then again, classic John McRae. I just was like, boys, I'm too busy. I can't. So I canceled. And they've always been sweet about it. And they never, ever, ever give me attitude or resent, like never get mad at me. But I was like, oh, fuck, I did it again. So we talked about it last year. And then again, I got too busy with work. But, you know, maybe one day we will. Or I mean, Calgary, I always say Calgary and falling down the Midwest was always amazing to us. I remember playing smaller cities and just getting the most insane reactions. And I had no desire, no offense to you know, California or like the massive hardcore scene in New York city. Like it was always like those like smaller towns that we always had the most fun in. And yeah. if we ever play a show again, it would definitely be around Alberta or, you know, the Midwest, you know, floor show, something like that. And, you know, maybe I didn't even know people still listen to our band. So maybe I got to get back on the horn with Bailey and Wayne and set well, something up, come play, come play a Calgary show or something like that. And I know Taylor has been awesome about it. And he's gave us a couple options. And I think we got invited to play a show in Calgary a couple of times, but I always just shit the bed, man. So maybe if people actually want to see it, maybe I should just suck it up and fucking make it happen. Kind of like how you did with this podcast. You're like, okay, yeah, we have exactly. to do it. <laughs> Dude, I know. I, how long have we been chatting? About a year now or longer? I like, mean, I'll be... pull up the first DM if you'd really, you know, want to be... put yourself out there that way. But I thought I, I, when you finally sent me the last two messages, we're like, okay, this is the part where he tells me to get fucked and I'm going to stop asking you. And then you, and I opened it. I opened it and you're just like super nice. You're like, hey man, would you be down? I'm like, yeah, this guy's awesome. I'm just going to fucking do it. You know, because you've been asking so nicely. But I swear to God, the last time I got two messages from you on Instagram, I was like, okay, this is the, this is the point in time where he tells me to get, get fucked. I'm done asking. But so um, I'm trying to think. <sighs> so I think the first time I reached out to you was like just over a year ago. So the okay. 1st of January, 2023. And okay. you said you said you were jam you were down and you and and you know yeah. I, i'm a believer that great things like good things take, take time. time but great things take All a right. lot of time so cool man thank you and i believe that this has been a really great conversation yeah. with you john one more question before we have to wrap up here sure buddy. um i end every single episode with a guest to share a favorite mosh related story Anything that's first off the top of your head could be wholesome, could be gruesome, could be something you did or just something you saw at a show. That's how we start to. Oh, dude, things. I've been listening to you ask this question and like just thinking about back to like hate breed at Hellfest and just like all the sand or the dirt storm, like people circle pitting and just head walking and shit like that. But I think some of the most memorable moments for me is, you know, when I was growing up in Vernon and we would do like. So that venue I ran, we ran, so it was a community. It was $500 a month, and we would pay the land, landlord from the mall 500 bucks, and it was a jam space, but we'd throw shows there. So basically, any band that played got full every dollar we made because all the bands were paying for the rent. <laughs> and so, dude, we, sort of God, we used to have mosh practices. So I had these big PA speakers, and we'd, like, put on Shattered Realm. And then, you know, there'd be, like, 10 of us, like, hardcore kids in Vernon that just knew – from watching stuff on like the Hellfest uh, videos. Mm -hmm. So this is like 2003 and we got a PA system. We got an empty venue and we would just like turn the lights down and just like practice our fucking, our moves and our spin kicks. And dude, it was like, 
so you would turn the funny. lights off and like oh, we were really we trying to replicate the moment. We, we would set the mood so that when we went to Seattle with all the big with all the big boys, we would know right. what we were doing and we would like practice all our like one handed cartwheels and spin kicks and like oh buddy, it was fucking hilarious and like it was embarrassing as the years progressed. <laughs> now I'm so oh, now I'm so old, I don't care now, right? It's funny because there just wasn't like the shows, right? So mm-hmm. we took that shit when we were like 17, 18. So what's this, 2003? So this is you know, two years ago. Then we started going to shows at Graceland. And Graceland, well, of course, is always oversold, like big bands. Like, right. I don't know what the capacity is there, but it would be just fucking shoulder to shoulder. And I just, my fondest memories were going to shows down there and just pushing my way to the front, jump up on the stage <laughs> for Converge, turn it around, and then just head walking. And when you want to come down, you can't because it's shoulder to shoulder. So you just keep head walking all the way back and like hitting my hat off of like the pipes. And dude, it was, it was the best, man. We would go down on like no sleep, pit all night, you know, spin kicking and just all that shit and then like drive home full of adrenaline there was no energy drinks there's no caffeine pills we didn't drink coffee we're all straight edge we're just so fucking amped on life and hardcore and it was an outlet for us too there was a energy yeah there was a venue called studio seven like in south seattle i don't know if it's still there anymore and it was like it was a bit of a higher stage but like hundred demons played there all the time and like martyr ad and like all those bands and we would just go down and it'd just be a fucking brawl you know and like all the seattle dudes were good to us and vice versa and it was just a brawl like you'd come home with fucking black eyes broken nose my buddy jesse broke his arm we'd have a cast on then take his first blood hoodie put his first blood hoodie over his cast so no one could see it then he'd use that as a weapon and just like open dudes up it was it was awesome man and it's hard to explain though right like so wait a second you go and just brawl or whatever you want to call it with other grown men and then like when the song's over you guys like hug after it's like well yeah it's kind of what we do you know and the That's fights are so baby. few yeah it's but the fights are so few and far between man like you know obviously we had a handful of fights over the years during our set and other hardcore shows but like all in all like you're in there swinging and kicking and fucking punching you can take it and it's just it is what it is and it was yeah. fucking awesome so I don't know. I was trying to think about that question because I heard you ask a couple of those guys and I, I started laughing about our mosh practices, 1718, just shattered realm. I feel realm. like I, you have yeah. opened my <laughs> mind to how many people, how many other, yeah. other bands and people within the scene have mosh practices, but they've never Dude, admitted it. So they never I have been. to you on you. Okay. So the other thing too, is like when Gravemaker started playing, I was playing bass more importantly than learning the bass tracks was me just mastering okay i'm gonna try to learn how to jump with this bass because i just wanted to look like i was seriously because it was more about like just losing your mind and like just freaking out than it was actually like learning your instruments and uh you know and i hear other guys speak about like their art and like the art of playing in hardcore bands stuff and it's fucking awesome to hear and it obviously was there was an artistic side for me but it was like just it was a massive outlet dude playing in bands screaming my brains out in grave maker going to shows like pitting for every band i just yeah it was like a huge outlet for me and obviously now i'm a grown grown up now and i go to therapy and other outlets now that i know are better for me but back then i didn't know that that was my fucking that was my therapy you know so Mm -hmm. but yeah like i guess like the hellfest pits when we went out there dude like seeing until the end that was my first chest beat my first tattoo i got a big until the end tattoo and uh, seeing it until the end, like that Trust Kill era, like bleeding through and those bands. And I just remember Hellfest in the fairgrounds for 17-year-old kids and the fucking dust is coming up and like dudes just fucking brawling. And I was just like, 
this is the best. And I, I just remember getting like punched in the jugular. And like, I think my throat collapsed and I'm just like having the best time. As soon as I can get some water back in there, you like head right. back out again. Reset was, my Adam's was, apple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome, dude. And so yeah, Hellfest and like that show with Haybreed I was talking about earlier, we played with them in 2008. That show was fucking bonkers. People treated us like we were terror. And we had no business being treated like that. People just is, went. Is that the poster that's behind you? That's framed up there. That is, yeah. So I was married for a long time, and my ex-wife would not let me post any Gravemaker stuff. So she was an interior designer, and my band is tacky. So, but I'm dating, I moved to my girlfriend last year, so she actually made me a surprise all our tour passes up there, and then what she could find, and then she she framed some pictures of our band. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to put them up. So I got that's this a keeper. That's a keeper move. Yeah, it's a keeper. Her yeah, it was cool. Yeah. It was cool, man. But, um, yeah, as far as mosh parts go, like that's pretty much all I can think of, man. It was, yeah, it was good times. <laughs> I, I <laughs> love times. the, uh, the visual of you head walking and then realizing that you have to keep head walking. No. Dude, you couldn't get down. Like, fuck dude. They used to oversell that venue. Like this is back in the day when like, I don't think the fire marshals were as strict. And I just remember like, yeah, just like, just head, shoulder, head, 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 shoulder, hit my hat off. Okay, I want to get down. Okay, fuck, I can't get down. Okay, keep head walking and just keep trucking in the back and eventually get to the it's back to the back. Like, the... It's like the yeah. shitty uh, CGI of the Flash, but it's just, yeah, dude, <laughs> it's just John totally. head walking yeah. people. Thank, oh God I was all, I was, I was, thank God I was a lot lighter back then, though. Right. Think, yeah, it'd be a little different story. You now, head walking but... now would actually cause some potential <laughs> problems for people. Totally. Yeah. Um, John, well, you know, uh, this has been a really, really fun chat. It's, 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 it's very kind of serendipitous because, you know, like this month specifically for the podcast has been a little strange for me because I've been working a lot more. I've been like having a lot of things, but this has kind of like re sparked a lot of, um, juices for me on just like, you know, having cool people. Like, I feel like there's, there's guests that are like the obvious, you know, person in a current band, they put out a new record, they want to do press, that's great. And then there's people that like, I'm personally like uh, a fan of, and then some people I'm putting onto them. But and then I think there's a very special small percentage of like interviews and, and, and conversations that people didn't know that they needed until they actually have it. And I feel like this kind of falls in that, you know, special. Thanks, buddy slice of the pie chart um i'm gonna put your social links and anything Gravemaker related in the show notes and the youtube okay description. cool but uh Thanks, if there's buddy. anything you want to shout out anything you want to plug or anything you want to send the people off on before we go um i don't know man i just want to like thank all the promoters and like all the guys that always took care of us i mean i've never really been back to thank them but like that's like the lifeline of of Gravemaker, us playing shows is like all the people that just you know hanging posters and, and taking care of us giving us a place to sleep you know all the filling guitar players we had you know um you know we had so much help over the years dude we crashed our van like doing some shia loot and come back in and misery signals and we've always had so much fucking help since the beginning dude like always kids coming up to shows singing along europe it was like we had so much fucking love dude and so I'll like always be grateful for that. So I just want to thank anybody that ever like showed up and like helped us out or booked a show, gave us a floor to crash on. And then, um, yeah, I just like, I'm really happy to see this new generation of hardcore coming up. And like, obviously like, these new bands that are coming out are heavy and they, although I don't really go to shows, I still listen to them as much as I can, especially when I'm powerlifting and training or building elevators. And, um, I just want to give a shout out to Bailey. If you guys have any merch printed overcast, he's out down in long beach, 
He's an amazing guy. He'll, it doesn't matter how big or small your band is. He'll, he'll do it for you. And Wayne, uh, LTL Co. Leather, he's like a phenomenal uh, craftsman making leather goods outside of, uh, or in New York City. So, yeah, if you want to give, I want to give a shout out to my two boys. And, um, yeah, dude, I appreciate you having me on, man, because, again, like I've said it before, I don't really stop to be present. It's something I'm working on. And I've, like, been able to go down memory lane this past few weeks and just kind of, like, trickling in all these memories and like good times and a lot of gratitude and like grateful for like the hardcore scene. And, you know, I guess sometimes I have a bit of guilt because I heard a couple of your guests and they're so fucking current and I have like guilt. Cause I'm like, Oh, I fucking just dropped out. I like took what I wanted and then left. But again, like I appreciate you taking me on and like, it, it's been, it's been, it's been cool. I, I appreciate all the kind words. Um, this was definitely an interview and a kind of something I wanted to really see through just because of how much um, your band has meant to me on a personal level, but I think also a legacy level for uh, Western Canada as a whole. And yeah, this has been a really, really fun chat, dude. And yeah, like Thanks, buddy. I feel, any, any self-doubt as far as like falling off or not being involved, like I think any of that, I, I, I hope that you feel the love that I can just anticipate that this episode is going to bring. I appreciate it. I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be a yeah. lot of people listening from Vancouver specifically who are going to be very giddy about some of the bands and shows and just different things that we got to reminisce on uh, in this yeah, buddy. almost two hour conversation. So, yeah, um, I was nervous. I, I'm not, it takes a lot to make me nervous. I used to chair very large union meetings and never gave a shit while speaking in front of people. I was actually nervous to come on today. I'm like, fuck, I hope I don't say the wrong thing. I'm like trying to like jog my memory. So yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been, it's been fucking awesome. Of Thank you. Uh, dude, it's been an honor and I hope that maybe we can do it again sometime. Anytime. Uh, yeah, for sure.